anyhow, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Speaking of, he is risen. It's Palm Sunday, as we've said on multiple different occasions this morning. And, uh, and, and I'm excited to jump into the word. Before I do, allow me to begin with a reading of scripture um, and then a prayer. So Psalm 24, 7 through 10 says, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. God, we just give you praise and honor and glory this morning. We open up the gates of our hearts and our minds. Would you enter in, King of glory, mighty in battle? Would you do battle over our hearts this day? Would you do battle over our minds this day? Circumcise the words of my heart this morning so that they reflect the words of your heart. And may our hearts be receptive to you. Come, Holy Spirit in power. Change us. Transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This past week, uh, I had a wonderful time. I took a week off. And after this time of pushing and getting things done in the building, it was incredible. You know, and one of the things that really made it incredible was uh, the fact that my in-laws were visiting. And I say that with complete honesty. I don't, not tongue-in-cheek, you know, it was awesome to have my in-laws and they're awesome people. And my father-in-law, who's, a, who's actually a minister as well in South Carolina, it's always good to kind of just talk with him. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me, however, is that not that that means it wasn't good, but it just stood out to me was the fact that different people have different styles of vacation. My in-laws and my father-in-law in particular, they are, how would I say this? Well, go, 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 and go, and and go, and go. I mean, they just like to go. I mean, they come, and they, they travel. They want to they go to the Royal Gorge. They want to see sights. Uh, the father-in-law, Ben, wants to fix up my house. He, I mean, he's doing projects all around my house. And my grandmother, or my grandmother, my kid's grandmother comes with a suit. Now, get this, a suitcase full of crafts, ready to go to do with the children. That's a lot of go, 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 okay? Go, go, speed racer. <laughs> and, and honestly, the thing is, is I'm, I find myself on the opposite extreme. I'm kind of the no, no, no vacationer. You know what I'm saying? And no, and no. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting when they come, and I find myself stretched in a good way, uh, Going instead of knowing, you know, so to speak. But uh, whatever we're doing, one of the best things about their visits is my conversations I can have with my father-in-law. Um, you know, as he's walking out, pastoring, and his calling as a minister, um, I get to learn from him and to grow from him. And one of the things that he mentioned that as I was praying for this morning, it just, it really stood out to me. It, it struck a chord in my spirit. And that was 
he said that he was, he was having a lot of revelation on how God, God wants to sanctify time. He wants to redeem time. So we look in the scriptures and we see, we see feasts of the Old Testament. And we see Palm Sunday, the church calendar, and different holidays that we, we celebrate in our faith. And what Ben, my father-in-law, was suggesting was that God, God wants to sanctify more than just places, but also our time. See, typically humans want to sanctify a place. That's why we have the Holy Land or the Promised Land. It's a sanctified and holy place. We, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem is a holy place. The, 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 the temple was a holy place. In fact, the, the tent of meeting was called the Holy of Holies. We want to sanctify church buildings as a holy place. We want to sanctify sanctuaries as a holy place. We want to sanctify and make holy the altar as a place. But God is concerned with also sanctifying our very time. And here's why this is so powerful. Because when he sanctifies our time, he exceeds the boundaries of places. See, when Moses came, and, and God, is, God is concerned with redeeming and sanctifying and making holy places. God wants to sanctify the earth. God wants to sanctify the ground upon which we walk. He wants to do that. But what we also see is that he wants us to participate in sanctifying time. Moses, when he came to, to the mountain and saw God in the burning bush, God looked at him and said, listen, remove your sandals because this ground upon which you walk is it's holy. But what I'm submitting you to, to you today is that that ground was not holy because it was holy. It was holy because there was a holy God involved. When Jacob was running from Esau, he found himself in Bethel, and, 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 he, and it says he fell asleep, and he saw the angels on this ladder or on these stairs going up from heaven or going up from earth to heaven and heaven to earth. And when he woke up the next morning, he says this in verse 17 of Genesis chapter 28. He says, how, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Listen, this place is awesome because God was there. He says he was unaware. He was unaware. The power of places being holy is that it reminds us that God is here. But what God wants to do is he wants to work outside of this place into the time that makes up our lives. He wants to make holy everywhere we go, every minute, every second, every day of our lives. And this is powerful. Because, because where there is a sanctified place, where there is sanctified time, we understand there is a God there. And when we are in the presence of God, that is where we experience transformation. It's not just the building. It's not just the altar. It's not just the promised land. It's not just that place you think you'll be in 10 years. 
It's right now as we experience God in real time. That's why God said, that's why Jesus said this, eternal life is this, that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life doesn't start when we die, it starts today. Why? Because we are now in relationship with a God who he broke out of the boundaries of the temple. He broke out of the boundaries of our prayer closets. He broke, he wants to break out Antioch. For your sake and for the sake of the people in your workplace, for the sake of the people in school, for the sake of people in other countries, God wants to break out of your holy places to make your time holy. And this morning, I want to invite you into the holy time that is Palm Sunday and Holy Week. And we do this, I, th- I believe that we do this by engaging in the story. And let me say it this way, and this is important to understand it this way. It's we engage in the journey of the story. And the reason I say that is because I think it's too easy to assume our understanding of who Jesus is onto the story of Jesus. So take Palm Sunday, for example. We see Jesus entering the city, and all the people are waving these palm fronds, and, and they're, they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I think it's easy for us just to assume our understanding of Jesus as Savior of mankind and by doing that, we distance ourselves from the characters and the, of that story. story. We, we, we distance ourselves from the brokenness of the people in that story. And when we do that, we miss the fact that much of the brokenness we see in the story is the very same brokenness inside of us. We gloss over it. And we miss it. And we miss the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come in in power. And change us. By looking at the people of Israel at the time Jesus came into Jerusalem, we get a picture, we get an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to change us as we identify with those people. So this morning I want to identify, I want to identify with the people of Israel. I want us to do that. That's my prayer for today that we engage in the celebration of Palm Sunday and the scriptures of Palm Sunday. That, and as we do that, we will experience the power of the Holy Spirit transforming our lives. You know, and it's a transforming that exceeds the walls of this place. And it continues into the time that make up the minutes, the hours, the days, the months, and the years of our lives. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 12. We're going to read the Palm Sunday scripture from John's perspective, reading from verse 12 to verse 16. Scripture says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took branches, palm branches, and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it 
As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. What we see here is we see the last leg of Jesus' journey to the cross and his resurrection. He's reaching the climax of his mission. And he approaches Jerusalem. And it's important here for whatever reason, and it, I have no idea why, but for many years when I read this, I, I thought Jesus is in Jerusalem, but he's not. He's actually on the road leading up to Jerusalem. So the triumphal entry is actually just that, his entry. He's walking into not already there. And that becomes important here in just a moment. So Jesus is riding on a donkey's colt, and he's making his way to Jerusalem amidst proud uh, praise and adulation. The people are worshiping him. But one of the things you may not know about this time is that at the same time Jesus is proceeding into Jerusalem, so is Pontius Pilate. Roman historians record that the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, led a procession of Roman cavalry and centurions into the city of Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. Now, we don't know if it was at the exact same time or not, but many scholars actually speculate that it was at the very same moment, not just the same day, but the same moment. And in that, we see a stark contrast. Here's Pontius Pilate coming in, riding a, a, a war horse surrounded by soldiers, gleaming breastplates, gleaming spearheads, gleaming helmets. And across town, we see Jesus entering, riding a donkey, escorted by people with palm branches as opposed to spears. And in that, I believe we see a question presented before the people of Israel and, and presented to us today as well. And that is this, who is the king? Who is the king? I don't think that question will ever lose power for those who pursue Christ. Who is this king? Who is this king of glory? We're opening up our hearts. We ourselves are shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're opening up the gates of our hearts and we're saying, enter in king of glory. But who is he? The question of Psalm, uh, Psalm, of Psalm 24, it just becomes increasingly applicable to this story, who is the king? The people on that day believed that they knew. They believed that he was Lord Almighty. He be they believed that he was the messianic king who would deliver them from the Roman Empire. As Jesus rode into the city, they shouted, Hosanna, which, as Jonathan mentioned during worship, means God, save us. Some scholars like to add, save us now. There's this imperative wrought up in this cry. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. This is pretty radical language to be shouting in a city conquered by Rome. 
And really the only outcome that you can see between two powers coming into the same city, one claiming authority over Israel and the other saying Jesus is our king is some sort of reckoning, some sort of battles going, going, about to go down here. Even the very elements of this story reveal to us the people's belief about Jesus as the Messianic King. Palm branches in ancient times were pregnant with meaning. It was common practice in the ancient world to welcome home a king or a war hero by laying out a path of branches for him to ride or walk on. It's similar to the rolling out of the red carpet today. It recognizes that the person who's coming down this pathway is not normal. It's not the same. It's not just your neighbor, but it's the king. The donkey that Jesus rode was actually the fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which basically, let me just read it to you. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion, shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem, lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is who was coming to visit Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. The laying, on of, the laying of cloaks that we see. It says they took off their cloaks as Jesus was coming in. They laid it before him for him to walk on. And what this means is that it was an act of throwing one's cloak down on the ground as a sign of homage. It was a sign of submission, of laying one's self down in hopes that the coming king would be able to bring deliverance. So you can see everything about this situation is pointing to Jesus as king. But also caught up into this story are historical perspectives that we, we just have no idea about. Because Jesus isn't the first person to do this. He's not the first person to ride in on a donkey. He's not the first person who, on a donkey received praise and adulation from people who were waving palm branches and laying it at his feet. Two centuries earlier, Judas Maccabeus enters Jerusalem. This is during the time when the Greeks ruled Israel. And he enters Jerusalem riding on the donkey's colt with praise and palm branches. And he would at that time, begin a revolt that would lead to the overthrow of the Grecian rule. So when the people see Jesus coming in, what did they believe? That Jesus came to revolt and overthrow Rome. Is this the king of, the, uh, king of glory? That's my question to you. Is this the king of glory? Well, for us, it's easy. We get to look back and say, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the king of glory. The king of glory came to save all mankind. But I believe the question remains vibrant 
and applicable for us today. Just like those who surrounded Jesus then, we too have expectations of our kings. Expectations that may or may not be according to who he is. And I also believe that Palm Sundays are rhythms by which we examine. We're invited by God to examine these expectations and to lay them down. Does King Jesus look like Pilate and his kingdom? Look like the Roman Empire? Does King Jesus look like the president? Does he look like a celebrity? Does he look like a philanthropist? And does his kingdom look like America in its pursuit of happiness? Who is the king of glory? Who is Lord Almighty? You know, understanding the symbolism of laying down our cloaks and our palm branches before Jesus, it becomes potent with transform, transformative power. And that, you know, it's, you know, I read it earlier, it's the act of taking off a cloak and throwing it down, saying, God, I'm submitting to this person. It's interesting to me that at the end of the story, Jesus is crucified by the very same people who said, I'm submitting my clothes, I'm submitting to you. In laying down their clothes, I would submit to you that they were not submitting to Jesus as much as they were submitting to their expectations of Jesus. And when these expectations weren't met, they rejected him. In laying down our palm branches and cloaks, we are submitting our lives to Jesus as king, regardless of our expectations and our beliefs. Sometimes God doesn't make sense to us, but we're still submitted to him. This Palm Sunday, I beseech you, let's lay down our palm branches. Let's throw our cloaks before Jesus in submission. Let's lay down our expectations in order to embrace the king as he is. Allow me to bring this to a close with a final thought. Most of us look upon the scene and imagine Jesus smiling and joyous. Many of the, movie, many of the movies or the, the plays, when Jesus, you know, when Jesus is making his entry into Jerusalem, the palm branches, and he's walking around, and he's like, hey, how are you? Ooh, let me kiss your baby and shake your hand. <laughs> I'm going to move on. I had more jokes, but I'm just going to move on. <laughs> But what you find is, is during his entry, Jesus is not laughing, but he's weeping. He's sobbing. In Luke chapter 19, verses 36 through 30, 44, this is Luke's um, perspective on the triumphal entry. And, he, and this is what he records. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. 
as he came near and saw the city, he wept over it. If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave with you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Listen, we can't miss God's visitation. His very presence among us. Many of us experience this every day. We forget about the presence of God who goes with us. And what happens is, is that we've embraced expectations, inaccurate, ultimately untrue expectations of God and who he is. And because of that, because we're so busy trying to make that come to pass, we miss the true Jesus. We want God to move in our lives this way. And we claim every promise and scripture that we can find to make it happen. And because of that, we miss what God might be doing in that moment. Who is this king? God could be, and I would even say God is speaking and moving in your life, whether you know it or not. And when you know it, this is why I, I submit this sermon to you today. When you know it, you can participate in it. You can join him in his work of sanctifying your life and the lives of people around you. Whether like Jacob we are unaware or because we've embraced ideas and thoughts about God that are ultimately untrue, Palm Sunday invites us to examine those expectations and then to lay them at the feet of Jesus. Whether they're true or not, God, I believe this about you and it might be true. But I lay this down because God, I'm not, I'm not looking to memorize a principle about you. I'm looking to engage with you in relationship. I want to know you. This happens every year. This is the beauty of church calendar and rhythms and feasts and celebrations because every year we are being formed, whether we like it or not, by the culture in which we live. Every day you are being inundated with messages about the empire about what it's supposed to look like. But God says, hey, listen, on Palm Sunday, who is the king? What is he really like? What king do you follow? And, and I just want to make sure you understand that I don't say this accusingly because every single one of us have wrong notions about who God is and how he works. And the nature of living in the society we live in, we pick up bad habits. And we pick up wrong thoughts about God. This can, this can affect the way that we approach worship. 
the way that we approach giving of our finances to the Lord. This can, this, this is, this can affect everything that makes your relationship with God what it is because it's based on your expectations and knowledge of him. I'm praying, God, help us to release our notions of you for a moment and meet with me and meet with us. This Palm Sunday, I'm sharing with you an invitation I feel the Lord has given to me. And that is to leave this place and to examine my expectations and to pursue an interpenetration of relationship with God. Lovingly coming to know him more and more and allowing God to be the source of our expectations, not our need, not our desires, not even our hopes and our dreams, but allow God to be the source of our expectations of him. Allow him to give you the desires of your heart. For that's what that scripture is saying. This morning, I challenge you. Take some time today and say, God, these are the things I've believed about you for so long. And whether they're true or not, I just want to know you. So I lay them before you. Come be my king. Amen.